I can't keep doing it just for the students. There has to be something that comes back for me too. And, and that just wasn't happening for me. I think for other people in the same situation, maybe it would, maybe that's 13 years of being in the same place. I think there are probably a number of factors that play into it, but I absolutely felt that. again. Welcome to another episode of Academics Mean Business. And this is your host, Dr. Lindsay Padilla. My guest today is Sarah Witten. We actually had a conversation around voice. She is a voice coach and faculty member, or was a faculty member actually at Harvard. Uh, She was there for 13 years. We had a great conversation about Actually, that which many faculty are probably familiar with, at least in the community college system, the the difference in pay between lab payment and lecture faculty, right? So she didn't name it that, but that's how I <laughs> I think about it from um, you know my union days and thinking about how that unequal pay structure actually really impacts the faculty that teach those type of programs. And so apparently at Harvard, it was very similar in the voice coaching and the voice faculty program that that she had. So I thought we had some interesting conversation around that. And what I also love about this interview is just realizing how powerful voice is. Learning from Sarah about the work that she does in the world. Uh, I had this aha moment of, oh my gosh, you're really going to change a lot of entrepreneurs' lives because (laughs) here I am running a podcast and I'm like, oh yeah, how does my voice sound, right? Like what would Sarah be coaching me on? And so to just think about how in online businesses in particular, but then also as professors, right? How our voice uh, is used and strained and how Sarah kind of mentioned how she really can tap into the emotions of what's happening with somebody just by listening to their voice. And so I just really loved this conversation because Sarah is just so full of knowledge and it's such a a beautiful way to look at how your whole body um, is impacted and, and your voice actually is a part of that, right? And how you can train your voice and guide your voice in a very like holistic way. And so hers circles around movement as well. So what a wonderful conversation. And I'm sure you guys will fall in love with her like I have myself. So here she is, Sarah Witten. All right. Today we have Sarah Witten with us and I'm really thrilled to have her on today. I can sense the energy she has wanting to talk about uh, leaving academia and her relationship with academia um, in a little bit of our pre-chat. So welcome Sarah Witten to Academics Mean Business. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. Yay. So let's hear a little bit of uh, your kind of academic background, if you will. Um, Obviously, we could talk a long time about what we researched and where we went to school and all of that. So, you know, give us the highlights of of your academic journey. What are some things that, um, you know, you studied, that you taught, um, and kind of what's your relationship to the academy? Sure. So I think... um my, my first entrance into academia was my college decision, which looking back, I'm a person who absolutely should have taken a gap year. I went off to um, a small liberal arts college and I had zero idea what I wanted to do. And it, it actually wasn't until fall of my senior year that I got called into the dean's office because my um, study away credits hadn't transferred in equal amounts. And they said, hey, you know, you're not going to graduate. And I was like, crap. (laughs) I don't want to not graduate. And I needed a way to just get two more credits. That was all that I needed. And at that time, I was an English literature major, really for lack of knowing anything else to study. I like to read. I like to write. Seemed like a good fit. And um, I looked around at what I could do for two credits over the course of the year and voice lessons came up. And so I thought, great, sign me up. That's easy. I've sung my whole life. And I walked into the first lesson and the woman who was running the program was like, where have you been for the last four years? And I was like, what are you talking about? And and they, the department was like, why, why haven't you been working with us? And it just kind of never occurred to me that I could do something that other people couldn't do. Um, 
you know, I just, I kind of thought everybody had grew up in a household with a dad who played the guitar and we had family sing-alongs and I, you know, I was in the small town musical theater lead productions and, um, it never, it really just never crossed my mind. And when I left school, I had even less of an idea of what I wanted to be when I grew up. I knew I wanted to live um, in Boston. So I moved up here and I got a job um, at Boston University working at the business school. And I was probably the exact opposite kind of person who would ever work in a business school. But I loved it. I was working in fundraising. So we did events. Oh, interesting. And yeah, yeah. I, I think the alumni were really grateful to interact with me because I wasn't trying to get a job from any of them. Mm-hmm. I just was That's sort of always this. A plus. <laughs> yeah, I was just sort of this fun young person who liked being social and meeting people. But there was a huge benefit. I don't know if this still happens at that school or other schools, but I could take classes for free. Ah, and love it. I kept taking voice lessons and they have a phenomenal music school there and I could be a special student and take classes. So I started taking a class a semester, at least, if not two, you just had to get permission from your boss. And my boss happened to be in the middle of finishing up her PhD. So she was all in favor of that. I took a bunch of classes and after four years, I was like, okay, I think I want to go to graduate school for voice. So I thought I wanted to be a voice researcher. So Ooh, I that's a thing. Yeah, that's yeah. cool. Of course, that's a thing. You can research <laughs> anything. <laughs> right. Love it. And so I looked at schools that had pedagogy programs in addition to performance. And I applied for a pedagogy degree and ended up going out to Ohio State. And I did a full two-year master's in vocal pedagogy. And I took like half of my classes through the speech and hearing department. I just, I love to know why. I always know why something works. And the science behind the voice was cool. I love physical stuff too. So I spent like a whole summer watching surgeries and voice therapies. And, you know, other people would have been just passed out on the floor. And I'm like, that is so awesome. (laughs) Yeah. So, um, and at the end of that, they said, you know, you're, you're a pretty good singer. Would you mm-hmm. be interested in staying for another year and doing a performance masters? And I thought I have nothing else to do. What else am I going to <laughs> Yeah. You know, I had a fellowship that paid for school. It paid me mm-hmm. enough to live at that time in yep. the middle of Ohio. And so I did it. I stayed. And in between the two, I went over to Europe and spent a summer singing in a program there that kind of shipped us all around Italy. Oh, wow. Lovely. Um, yeah. And and I left I left graduate school. There's There aren't really any guaranteed jobs for performers um, or voice pedagogy folks. And I, but I knew I wanted to come back to the East coast. So I came back to Boston and within a year, I think I found myself at Harvard and I was working just part-time at that point because I wanted to have a lot of time for performing. And I started working um, in the Holden choral program there. And by the end of that first year leading into the second, they had an opening in the voice teaching side of that department. And I threw my hat in the ring and I got the job. Oh, awesome. So I spent a total of, I think, six years working full time there, split as administration and teaching. And then after I had my first child, the thought of going back to my administrative job, you know, not so appealing. So I dropped to half time just teaching and I ended up spending 13 years there teaching voice to undergrads and grads who were enrolled at the university. And it was a really, it was a really phenomenal experience. The the young people that I had the chance to meet and work with were just such interesting, fascinating, you know, there was no performance degree there. So they're scientists and uh, mathematicians and yeah, it was very, very cool. You know, people would go off to Africa to collect orangutan poop for the summer sure. and come back with these amazing tales about what they did, you know? Yeah. Um, so getting to meet them and be a part of their journey. Mm. These were students that I worked one-on-one with for four years of their wow. college career. And we really, I love the relationship building that happens when you work with someone's voice. It's such mm. an intimate part of who they are. Mm-hmm. Um But when I put myself in the box of academia and the world of Harvard, I always felt a little bit like a square peg in a round hole. (laughs) Um, And I think the, after I had my second child, I really started to think, 
the commute is crappy. It was uh, two hours to get there. Ooh, um, yeah. Yeah. And I don't know, it just, I had sort of this desire to be doing my own thing that I, I've always, I've always had. I was, you know, the kid running science experiments at home and charging my parents money to come nice. look at them. <laughs> <laughs> Been an entrepreneur from the very beginning. Um, and, and I, I always had sort of a little side business mm. of working with professional, particularly women on their voices. I had surgeons, I had ministers, the whole gamut of people who needed their voices to succeed at their jobs mm. were coming to work with me. Um, and along the way, because I'm definitely in the category of probably grossly over educated, yeah. <laughs> I decided to take my yoga study that I had been involved with since I was in graduate school and pursue certification, which kind of opened a whole other side of how I worked with people's voices that I oh, really looked at their whole being. Yeah. yeah, Breath, body, voice. Everyone always says your whole, your body is your instrument, but no one really, I don't think knows what that means. And I was like, I got to figure that out. And I had a lot of stuff in my own performing that required me to sort out my body and breath. So I started weaving those two things together. Um, and it just kind of grew and grew and grew on the side to a point where I was like, you know, I probably, I probably stayed three or four years longer than I really should have, mm, but I kept thinking, mm -hmm. well, I need to, I need to be at a certain point before ah, I can leave. That's I a need good point. to yeah. get there. Yeah. Um, and then I just decided, you know, it's really now or never, you just got to make the leap. Um, so there was, some, you know, discussion in our household and, and last year I did it. Mm. I, I cut the cord and went out on my own. <laughs> Oh my gosh, I love it. What time what time last year did you do that? So has it been almost exactly a year or a little bit? Yeah, yeah. a year, a year in January. Yep. Oh my gosh, that's so cool. Yeah. Awesome. I know. Spring semester rolled around and I was like, nope. Hmm. <laughs> so it sounds like <laughs> we left at come. the same time. We were parallel because that's like, I think it's been a year for me too. Yeah. 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 Um, oh, I love this story. So I, there's so much I love about this because I um I what I what I love about interviewing academics is seeing like obviously we know when we get into the academy like or or whatever we're, we're getting into grad school like you better really love what you're doing. <laughs> so there's something about that lines up really well with entrepreneurship, right? You you probably love what you're studying. And if you don't, it's going to be terrible that whole process. So, um, you know, so I love talking just to passionate educators and passionate learners. And I think that's like what academics totally are. And that's such a, a, a needed thing in entrepreneurship. So I heard a lot of that in your story. Plus, I love talking to people that have taught different things. Like there's kind of the standard. I've talked to a lot of psychologists, right? Like I kind of I'm, I'm noticing this trend. Um, I talked to a psychologist yesterday. So I've had a couple interviews yesterday. But there's a trend of like the degrees that um, maybe are more common in entrepreneurship. Like I'm, I'm like kind of want to take stock of that too, right? Um, but yeah, you know, I guess maybe for you too, it might be a little similar as well, but for um, therapists, a lot of them start their own practices. So it's common to have a degree in psych for obvious reasons that people can start a practice. They're not, they don't have to go into teaching. Um, but there are some degrees that the teaching is kind of that, that's almost as far as you can go. And I think sociology, you know, arguably could be one. Um, but with you with voice, so I think that's interesting. Like that's a skill, like it's like, you know, something someone needs to work on. So starting kind of, you know, a private tutoring, if you will, private working workshops and stuff like that seems like a natural lean. So I'm kind of curious, you know, based on that, did you have a model or, you know, someone you knew in your life that made you even realize that it was that it was possible to like be safe? Well, I don't know if safe is the right word that leaving that that salary job or having that consistent income and leaving that and doing this business thing did you have that example in your life like where were you kind of finding that as even an option well most of the people that i knew had some kind of job at a school many many times i i would say unless you're at a conservatory it's highly unlikely that you're going to be in any kind of a tenure track position and teaching a performing oh i can see that okay mm -hmm. so there are and and the unfortunately the way universities and colleges have gone there are fewer and fewer right of those of tenure course. track yeah positions. and that's an important yeah important conversation and yeah so the arts as being something right. that would be even mm -hmm. yeah so you become applied faculty and it was uh, even 
a little bit lower than that at Harvard. Sure. Harvard doesn't even pay you directly. The students pay you directly. I mean, there are all kinds of wait. There were, what? There are all kinds of issues around that. I yeah, didn't know that. Wait, yeah, we, Justin, we need to talk about that. I'm just, taking notes because <laughs> I didn't even know that was a thing. Yeah, just okay. just well, in, you're Harvard. Um, you can do whatever you want, right? Yeah, yeah. And it was Pretty just much. in this particular this the way that these applied lessons worked there specifically the applied lessons yeah okay i mean i I never met anyone else on campus who was teaching and not being paid by the university but um we we were we were essentially like almost like contract employees except yeah we were doing it and i was teaching and doing the same kind of work yeah um So most of the people that I know in the voice world in um, classical singing background have some kind of an appointment at a school and then they have this private studio. But Got it. what they're doing is spending maybe three or four days a week on campus and then working themselves to death full mm. eight hour days, Saturday and to Sunday the to try and make of, up for yeah. it. Because often you're only paid for what you teach during the school year. So you've got to yes. <laughs> pack in what you can and then pack it in on the weekends. And I yep. I knew that was not the model that I wanted to go for. I have young children um, and our family time is hard to come by. My husband works as a consultant. So the times that we cross over is going to be weekends or never. Um, so I wasn't going to book myself solid on weekends. And I I kind of said to myself, you know, I, I want to be as present as I can while they're this little. So I was like, the model that's going to work for me is that I work while they're in school. And I, th- I think that was actually one of the biggest challenges that I encountered because no one else that I knew of was doing that. I did, I didn't have anyone really in my particular industry. I'm sure there are people who do that, but I didn't know them um, when I started off kind of doing this. And, and it was really in the online world where I discovered the whole concept of like a mompreneur who's going to work yeah, while right? her children are in school <laughs> and actually be, right, be successful at it. Um, so there was a big there was a big learning curve for me there for sure. Yeah, that's huge. So um I you know I, I what I'm noticing um uh, is a theme here actually is I've I've actually interviewed uh, several mother like m- female mothers who are also in the academy and the and this is a theme. <laughs> And you're going to see some of these. Well, Catherine Mazak's interview, which is, I think, episode six, um, she was the first. And then yesterday was an interview that was similar. And so I think what what we're realizing, right, in having this conversation, which we knew and I, you know, I talked about this with other academics that, um, you know, teaching and researching and, um, and, you know, having a tenure track job or even working at any part of the institution is not very family friendly. And this has been a conversation in the Academy for a long time. So, um, but as a result, right, maybe women making the choice to say, okay, well, if you're not going to help me take care of my family by giving me the resources or the flexibility that I need, right. And we can even get into equal pay from my male counterparts and all of that. (laughs) Well, that's another conversation. Uh, you know, Hey, I'm going to go find my own thing, right? Or I'm going to create this so I can do what I need to be able to do to support the family that I would like to the way I would like to support them. Um, So that's definitely in this. So I actually realized when you were talking about this applied faculty thing, I think it's actually similar to, you know, I come from the community college system. um, And my husband had this more because because I think it's interesting. This is another theme that's come up is the inequity between faculty members that is really prevalent on campus. So we could talk about the tenure track and part time. But then you get into contract labor and people who are paid hourly um, for their and and um, it's like lab work, actually. So my husband was in physics and there were faculty that had lab courses and those courses were paid different. Um, and they were paid, the units were paid different. They were paid less per hour. And there was a lot of conversation of, are we still teaching when we're managing a lab? Um, how is that different than a lecture and preparing tests? So this was a conversation. And this is where it's so murky in the academy, the labor piece, like, and, um, you know, Oh gosh, like uh, the what labor is valued is one of that, but it but it's like how it's so murky like what is work and what's actually being paid. Um what is paid lab- labor, I guess is what I'm trying to get to. What's the thing associated with what your job description says? And this is a theme that keeps coming up because I'm I'm thinking and I'd love to hear your thoughts on this. Like again, as the further I go in these conversations, 
I think what's pushing a lot of people out is this, the, the encroachment of they don't know where the line stops of how much they give to the institution or to their students or whatever. Um, and so you, um, in this, in this scheme represent somebody who is, is not treated the same as other faculty members. So then it's like, I'm, my job is very unstable, right? Like, I don't know, you know, potentially one day they could say, Hey, we're getting rid of the whole entire voice program, especially if there's no majors for it. Oh my gosh. So yeah. So I don't know if you have any thoughts or want to speak to that. Cause I think there there's, um, I'm trying to kind of name like some of the trends that I'm seeing. Yeah, you know, I think I definitely uh, towards the end, uh, when I had passed the point when I should have left and I had stayed, I think those things cropped up a little bit more for me of it was more obvious or like feeling like I've really over the years, I've really I've given a lot. And and I kept doing it because I saw the difference in the students' lives that it made. Yes. You know, at an institution like Harvard, it's a fairly large place. And the idea of having really personal connection with someone who's essentially old enough to be your parent, who you're going to see every week, and who's going to be able to just know if there's something going on with you, it's going to show up in your voice. Um and so, and I would build a relationship with them where I'm not going to come out and ask, but they're going to feel comfortable bringing up and talking. And, um, you know, sometimes they're exploring their sexuality. Sometimes they're confronting issues of race. Sometimes, you know, you just don't know everything's going on below the surface. Um, the emotions. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, they're teenagers. So, and I always w- did that very willingly and freely. And I just viewed it. I think most voice teachers will tell you that's just part of the process. It's part um, of the work. Yeah. But when it ki- came to um, the end, I think I began to feel like, you know, I've, I've given so much of myself. I have so much genius that I'm offering in what I'm doing and it doesn't feel recognized. Um, and, and that was a real, that was a real sticking point for me. And, and, and it, it was really the thing that left the bad taste in my mouth that, that really I had to sit with and be like, I can't keep doing it just for the students. There has to be something that comes back for me too. And, and that just wasn't happening for me. I think for other people in the same situation, maybe it would, maybe that's 13 years of being in the same place. I think there are probably a number of factors that play into it, but I absolutely felt that. Yeah. Yeah. I talk about that on an episode too. emotional labor of teaching. And, and also as a, as a woman faculty member, I think, um, we tend to be thinking about those things or feel responsibility for it. So the emotional labor that is not paid, bringing home um, the burdens of your students because you're a, f- a faculty member who's listening and has created that environment. Um, I love you're like blowing my mind as it relates to just voice. I'm like, oh my God, I want to take your class or something. <laughs> like, tell me more <laughs> about this. But I can so see that as somebody who's called herself tone deaf and can't sing, I could go on about that. But I'm sure you have things to say about that. So part of me wants to take a class with you, which is always a good thing. Anytime. Um, anytime. <laughs> cool. So let's actually hear a little bit about your business. So so you were doing some of this, um, you know, one-on-one work. What did you transition into and how did you kind of um, decide to pull it online? And, and what did that look like? And what does it look like now? Yeah. So it really, it was sparked by presenting at a national conference. I kind of took, uh, the irony was what the room that I taught in was a windowless basement room with a door that didn't even have a window. I mean, I had no outside view of anything. So I sort of had been like the also mad woman in the basement. Also recognizing your position in the academy. Thank you. <laughs> exactly. Thank you. <laughs> in the basement of totally. a theater. Um, and I sort of had been doing this, developing this work of the way that I worked with the body and the voice and how, I mean, you just, you can't separate the self out from no, any of that. Yeah. Um and I, uh, I applied to speak at a national conference and I ended up presenting three separate sessions. This is to voice teachers, um, on how the body and the breath and everything interacts with the voice and my method of working with all that based on all of my movement training from different modalities. And I was given the like 730 in the morning slot. 
when I knew no one. I mean, who wants to be up and go to the 730 session? Nobody. Um, but I got there and the first day, the entire ballroom was filled. It was like, oh, a, you know, it. one those ballrooms that are in three sections. And I had people just wall to wall, front to back. And it grew. I had a session on consecutive days. And I thought, okay, I you know, I haven't just been crafting something alone in the basement that is crappy. <laughs> people actually respond to this. Yeah. Um, so that was really the impetus that I said, okay, and and everyone in the room, there were some some students, some singers in the room, but everyone was a teacher. And I realized how hungry they all are for some kind of professional development that's really directly so, applicable. Yes. You know, yeah. you go to a lot of conferences and it's research being presented. And yep, it's like, okay, yep. it's an interesting intellectual exercise, but I gave them specific things that they could be doing Activities. with their students. Mm-hmm. And they experienced it too. Like I ran the session and they experienced it in their body. So out of that, I was working with a business coach who was like, put together an online course. I was like, Mm. my industry does not do online. We are in person. But that started me off on a year of exploring, developing a course that I call Seeing the Whole Singer for advanced singers and voice teachers to better understand the body. And um and how they do it in their in their own being and then in the studio as well. So I kind of, I did that. Uh, that was all of last year was kind of working through that and sharing that with people. And uh, I, again, I've always had like, I have... I have multiple things kind of going on at once because I have that passion for singers and the body. And, you know, there are people for whom they need to be on stage. It's like they get up there and you just know it doesn't matter if anyone's listening. This is just what they need to be doing. And those are the people that I most want to help. I was not that person on stage. I did not need to be up there. I would be happy doing other things. I'm, this is what I need to be doing. Um, but I've always had this other side of, I don't know if it's just the feminist in me or, um, my own curiosity or just the people who made their way to me of, working with women's voices and really helping them in a world that has a terrible history of not being interested in what they have to say. And my desire is to strip away the things that women get unfairly criticized for in their voices to really let out what needs to shine. Um, so I, uh, that has is a far easier thing to sort of take care of online than but i also love doing it in person um but that so that side of things has been the sort of next focus for me and in really in the beginning of this year i put a lot of sort of thought and effort into how do i want that side of things um to look and and i think i had thought about it before i sort of I would say in 2016, I did a, like kind of a soft launch of it, and I was so not ready that it went nowhere. Um, but it kind of reoccurred to me at the end of last year, and I took the whole first week of January once I got kids back in school and was like, where do I want to be with all this? And all that stuff came up again, and this time it just, you know, things kind of exploded, and I had people getting in touch and all of that. So This is for the Women's Voices course specifically? Or, yeah, and yeah, and right okay. now what I'm what I'm what I do with this is primarily one-on-one work. That's okay, really where I feel it. like that's what I really love. Got it. But I do things like I'll do a video assessment of someone who, you know, like so many people are looking to take their businesses online. Yes. No one has any kind of broadcast or business. Nope you know, voice training. Hey, we could so, talk. I would like, yeah, I'm running a podcast. I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> you right. could do voice training for podcasts. No, that's actually really interesting. I love that. Speaking, right? Is speaking yeah. involved in this? I'm yeah, already... and it's all, it's all speaking voice stuff that I do on that front. I just, I pull from classical voice use and the movement world to put together something for people that's going to help them embrace their role as a professional voice user because they don't look at themselves as a professional voice user. Um, but that also was a huge part of what I did with the young women that I worked with at Harvard because they were all coming in and kind of talking like this and they had a lot of glottal fry. And I'm like, are you really going to stand up in front of your class and make a presentation in Act 10 about something that you're sounding like that? So 
We worked on that a lot. Nice. I actually am going through my Rolodex. I actually might have a connection for you. Like, lit me up when I was like, we're going to talk after this. Because <laughs> oh, this awesome. is really important work. I think this is actually huge. Um, and there's a lot. Um, yeah, I'm connected to a lot of people that run conferences around this. People that run, um, you know speaking workshops and stuff and this is not something that they have you know the background in and so I feel like it would just really add some uh, complexity to the work that those folks are already doing so remind me to connect you awesome yeah so far everyone that I've sort of connected with about this is like oh that's so needed and I haven't known where to turn to get it I haven't known who to send people to and so now they're like I'm just gonna send them to you yeah it's awesome. Yeah. No, um, I, yes, I will connect you. <laughs> I feel like it's already happened in my head. So, um, yeah, very cool. So I'm curious then with this moving, you know, so I hear, you know, you're making a course online and you haven't taught online before, but you have a pedagogy background and a curriculum background. So how do you feel like your learning curve was, um, really making that transition and being like, okay, cool. I have this thing to teach. I know how to teach. I don't know how to do it online. And I also don't know how to get students because the university took care of that. So what were some of the kind of um, skills that you felt like you had to pick up on um, and and uh, to grow your business and start it? Or I think the biggest hurdle for me was getting comfortable with the idea of selling it before it was built. Ooh, yes, yes. <laughs> that, that was That's like a big thing so... for those of you listening. <laughs> in the industry yeah painful Mm -hmm. it was so hard to do the first time around and you know i think i have over the 20 plus years that i've been in the voice world you know i just sort of turned to my connections i think i had built really good relationships and um you know, I started following a few coaches online that resonated with me and paying attention to the type of things that they were saying. And um, I, I, it was honestly, I mean, it's always sort of trial by fire. I was like, well, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna do it. And I, I sort of did everything as a test, like I did a beta run of things. And I pulled from the people that I'd met at the national conference who said they were interested and was like, okay, here's let's, you know, do a beta test of this for me. And then, you know, they told people and I don't think by any means I have mastered it, but I, I figured out that for what worked for me last year was I had this whole big course and I took the first module of it and I taught it live and I taught it live about every six or eight weeks. And so I would connect with people live that way. And, and that just sort of made it easier than my just saying, here, here's this thing. You don't know me at all. Yeah. (laughs) Why don't you sign up for it? Send me money. Yeah, Yeah, totally. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a that's a really good strategy. So, um, and that's something <clears throat> something we've talked about on this podcast before too. Because I'm I'm imagining in my head that there's some people listening that don't have a business or are really just starting out and you know exploring this idea of of a side income. Um, because at least for me, you know, you've brought up that entrepreneurship was kind of it was a it was a possibility, and you were also running side like workshops and stuff. There are some academics who um, I mean it is just mind-boggling to think about starting a business and that was me and um you know and i you know i think it's a little bit related to the type of degree that they got and the direction that their degree takes them um but i you know i bring that up because this idea that you know some of those first initial steps are pretty scary um you even said like you know i think i stayed all you know three to four years possibly longer than i needed to and that that safe absolutely yeah so I'm, i'm curious if you have some tips on like making those and taking those first steps and like what you see as the first step. So I think an easy first step, which I I heard in this was, you know, social media is really where a lot of this stuff is happening. And you can't just send somebody a link to say, buy this thing when it's like they have no trust in you whatsoever. Um, You know, they don't know you like, why would they? Right. And so it's buying something on the internet. We're a little skeptical of it. So that all being said, you know, just showing up on Facebook and teaching on some lives or or starting to kind of teach on, you know, Instagram stories. I mean, there's so many places that people are that need your thing. Um, And so that is always a, a part that I think for the academic, 
you know, it's a little weird to be like teaching publicly, like in something like that. And then like hiding the rest of the content, like it's weird. It's like a different way of thinking about teaching. So, um, I think that's a really great strategy and it's, and it's working right now, especially with live video and interaction. And so, you know, the, this day and age, you know, in the time capsule of this podcast, who knows, <laughs> but right now on February 2nd, 2018, this is totally working. So I appreciate you sharing that. So any other thoughts you have around kind of those first moves you made as well? I heard you say you hired a business coach. Maybe you could talk a little bit about that, like and when you made that decision. Yeah. Um, it became pretty clear to me that there was a lot of it that I was just total chicken about. Right. And, and I knew it. Yeah. I knew that I was really good at what I did, mm -hmm. but I also was humble enough to recognize that there was a lot about business that I don't know. Mm -hmm. And I still, I absolutely still feel that way. Um, I have embraced much more the idea of hiring out for people yes. to do those yes. things that you don't know. Yes. Um, but yes, getting to the point of hiring a coach was a massive leap of faith mm -hmm. for me. Um, but I also know I'm someone who really needs external accountability. You know, I can, if I tell you I'm going to do something for you, it will be done. If I say to myself, you're going to, why don't you go for a five mile walk this morning? I'll come up with 85,000 reasons why I am not going to do that. So a lot of it for me was I just knew I needed that external accountability of someone that I was going to have to say, I'm going to do this and then show up and say, yes, I did it. Mm -hmm. That was, that was a big one for me. Um, but I think even, you know, even before that, I started to be very mindful when I went to conferences of collecting people's information. And this is huge. Um, that's a really smart move, especially if that's your population. So I've had a couple academics on the show that actually help academics. So go into those conferences, there's might be some ideal clients. That's great. Yeah. And I, I started off um, with a survey that I sent out to all of my contacts in the industry and ask them to share it with other people. And so I started out with a mailing list of 100 people who filled out my survey. And it just, you know, has grown to over a 1000 people now. Um, and, you know, and then I, I, I found Instagram, I do a little bit of that. It's not really my medium. I'm not, I don't know, don't take pictures um, that are any good. Yeah. <laughs> take stupid pictures. Picture shame you on know, Instagram is real. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I am not the person with the picture perfect life on no. Instagram. Yeah. Um, but I'm pretty comfortable on video. I think all my years of performing, I don't have a problem with that. So I started a YouTube channel oh, nice. and I started creating little three minute videos. And for almost the entire year last year, I sent out a weekly video of two or three minutes long to my mailing good list. for you. I need to do that. Um, <laughs> Tell and, me your ways. You know, yeah. And, right. And now I'm like, uh, I just, I don't have the time for that. So it's usually a monthly, you know, a monthly thing. Um, but the other thing that I did was I created an avatar, literally like a written description of who my ideal client was. And really she was me before I knew what I know now. Um, and uh, that was so I kind of looked for the hallmarks of that person as the people that I could help the most. Um, and, you know, I mean, a lot of it, honestly, is flying by the seat of my pants and Every day. <laughs> Pretty sure it's all going to work out in the end. Yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah. I it think does. it does. I, like, I think, yeah. I mean, I've talked about this a lot. I think on my interview in the podcast, it was like, no one knows what they're doing. Why do I <laughs> like, I, I think that, and that's the contrast to ac the academic space. It's like, there's this very clear path and there's these kind of milestones you have to hit and you, you know, you kind of just keep doing it, right? There's a lot of like, mm -hmm. we just keep doing it. Uh, but there's something about entrepreneurship that's like, well, I don't know what I'm doing today. And then the next day, like on a most daily basis, like it's like, I yeah. have no idea how to manage somebody. I have no idea how to fire somebody. I have no idea how to, you know, have someone work for me and like tell, like, it's not a teacher student relationship. I need to make sure that that's like, you know, so you just start to realize like how much you don't know. Um, but um, you know, and then you, if you're following a lot of business people, so when you start getting in this world, you start, you know, listening to business podcasts, you start buying courses, you start, you know, um, following people and meeting them online. And then you're like, Oh my gosh, like everyone has it together and they're making a bajillion dollars. And then I'm just keep reminding myself, like no one actually knows what they're doing. And even as I'm watching <laughs> colleagues, colleagues in this business space, not colleagues in the academic space, 
you know, mess up here and there. I know some stuff behind the scenes that isn't matching with their Facebook account. And I'm just like giving the benefit of the doubt to everybody. Like no one really knows what they're doing in this space and we're all kind of creating it. Um, and so there's, I've, I've have this deeper like compassion, I guess, for realizing like how hard this is. Um, uh, because there's no path laid out for us. Yeah, I think I made the mistake early on of sort of paying attention to everyone who is a coach. I mean, you get so many ads and whatever. And I'd be like, Oh, that's interesting. That's interesting. And then I just kind of like tied myself up in knots of like, well, this person says to do this. And this person says to do this. And eventually I was like, all right, I took a giant step back and sort of stopped following everyone for a little bit. And then was like, who's really resonating with me. And I've narrowed it down to like two people that I follow and fewer business podcasts that I'm going to listen to because often it does leave me feeling like I'm not doing a good enough job. I'm not where I should be. You know, I should be in some other place than where I am. And that flies in the face of every bit of yoga training I've ever had. And, you know, I think of myself um, as like a little bit Buddhist, a little bit badass. And uh, there's nothing in the Buddhist, you know, anything that would agree with any of that. And probably the badass would give them the finger and be totally. like, no, like, I'm not why do you matter? Way. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> right. Um, so I just sort of realized that I needed for myself to keep myself sane, pay attention to what a few people are saying, n- take none of it as gospel yep. and really do it your way. Mm-hmm. Your way is, is the right way because it's your way. Yep. Um, One of the few Instagram posts that I shared recently was that I made banana bread and I made it in the wrong order. And I realized midway through, I'm like, ah, I wasn't supposed to put that in yet. supposed to do something else. And I'm like, well, it's probably going to turn out fine. And I was like, you know, that is so the story (laughs) of my life. Yeah. It's yeah. still edible. It's turned out <laughs> not perfectly die. fine. The finished product, no one knows that I, you know, added the eggs before the flour. And and that's basically how I think I've done a lot of my life is I've done it sort of out of order in in most ways, yet it's all turned out perfectly fine. Mm-hmm. So Ooh, I love that was that. my one bit of Instagram wisdom that yeah, I offered. Yeah, that's good. No, that's a good one. <laughs> um, you brought up that, so that that really resonated with me because I had a, sa- a similar point. So. Um, uh, I was listening to all the podcasts. Like uh, when I basically realized like, Oh, I could start this business and I created a side obsession. It used to be my doctorate and my dissertation. When that was over, I was like, what else can I obsess about? Um, so I like subscribed to every podcast. I had a 45 minute commute one way. So I was getting some half hour episode. I, I was maybe listening to three or four a day. Um, and then like five months if go by and I was like, I haven't, I don't even know what to do. Like today I should start a YouTube channel tomorrow. It's Snapchat the next day. It's, Oh my God, it's all over. Like, you know, so, um, I hit a moment too, and this might be a good tip too, for listeners as well. This like consuming of content. It's like, um, there are some people, I, I don't know who said it, like wake up every day and create before you consume. That's like a bit, that's like how you really move your business forward. Um, and so one hack I did early on when I came to terms with like, okay, Lindsay, you can't listen to a new business podcast every day because then you're not focusing on any, any one thing you're working on, on everything. Um, I stopped subscribing to podcasts. Um, and I then was like, okay, what do I need right now in my business? <laughs> so today I wake up and I maybe need a little more sales. What is related to sales? Okay. Maybe it's marketing, maybe, and go down that rabbit hole, but then sto- I can go back to Amy Porterfield, whom I love, um, as a business podcast I did back then. I actually haven't listened in a while, but she's very how to, so you can search everything she's ever recorded and find the the one of the thing that you need to do. That's the beauty of these searches. So the idea that you have to listen to a podcast in order and, you know, be a faithful subscriber and, and, you know, keep listening, you don't really have to when it comes to how to stuff. So, um, I remember making that decision that really changed kind of the perspective because I, I wonder if it has something to do with like, we're learners, right? Like kind of, we like as academics, that's definitely a part of one of our, you know, strengths, right? So I just, I love learning new stuff, right? And so this idea of that I have to, it happened with the dissertation too. I remember my advisor being like, at some point you can't, like there is an end to the lit review. There is an end to how far you can take this. <laughs> right. um, and you have to consciously end it. So that it, it's a mental, you know, block. So I would, whatever it is you're consuming, consider that. I, you know, cause I, I relate it to like, 
it is like a magazine and commercials, right? Where these people's lives and lifestyles are coming through and you're just starting to question, am I doing it right? Am I good enough? Like, what else do I need to buy in order to be as good as them? Like, that's what it can feel um, even in this like business space as you're trying to make it work. Right. It's to me, it's when learning feels bad. You know, it's when you're listening to the podcast or you're reading the blog or whatever, and it makes you feel like bad about what you're doing and how you're not doing something else. Like that was it for me. And eventually I was like, all right, and I'm, I'm going to go back to listening to Gretchen Rubin's happier podcast. Oh, I, love, I was wondering if you about, listened to her because I was like, your four tendencies, like the, I heard that oh, for sure. Yeah, <laughs> total. I'm on the blager all over. Oh, I, I actually, it. I wrote into them because oh, yeah? um, when they first started, her sister Liz was getting all kinds of criticism about her voice. Her voice. And so I oh said, my gosh. Yeah. Were you the person that wrote in and did they talk about it on the podcast? Yeah. I she read listened my to that episode. What? That was me. Mind blown. <laughs> I'm going to go back and listen yeah. to it. This is the best thing I know. Thing and they're like, oh my God, she nailed it. Like, how did you do that? And I'm like, that's my superpower. My ears tell me what's going on with you. <laughs> but oh yeah, God, this that. is the best interview ever. <laughs> like, <laughs> I'm like, what? I mean, the world is small as we know, but like, that is a really cool thing. We are very parallel. I bet I was on my way to work listening to that. I could, pr- I can actually like see myself listening to that was one of my on my reel hers was really great too I started listening to that later after I was getting so consumed but I I was a um, I started out as a health like and fitness coach is where my like early Mm. entrepreneurship was and so habits was a big part of that so that's how I fell into Gretchen Rubin's work um, around like habits and and habit formation and and um, you know helping my clients in that way but anyways oh my gosh that's so funny yeah I love it yeah that was me. I love it. Oh, gosh, <laughs> your your work is so cool. So, so cool. Um, so I'd like to hear maybe, um, well, okay, so I'm kind of hearing it a little bit. You did a lot of one-on-one work as a teacher, which is very different than most educators, right? Um, maybe at the graduate level, but but um, so I want to hear maybe some of the skills that you, you brought and are taking with you from your work at Harvard, from your work, um, you know, from your studies, from pedagogy. Like, I love the idea that you have a degree in pedagogy. So what is translating really well in your business? I think primarily, so I think I have a couple of superpowers is how <laughs> I would define those. And one of them is I have an ability to take in a large amount of information, synthesize it, and then share it back out as something that's very understandable to people. Mm -hmm. I suspect that's very common amongst people who go into the academic world. Mm -hmm. So I can read a bunch of articles about breathing and then be like, oh, this is exactly how that applies. And then I can watch someone's body and say, this is what you're doing. Um, so I think that that's, that's one of the superpowers. And I think just over the years, my ears are very well cultivated to really listen beyond the words that you're saying. And, and like what I hear, whether it was in Liz Craft's voice, or, you know, there was a coach on Facebook that I was following And all of a sudden in January of last year, her voice completely changed. And I was like, wow, why is she so angry? Like there's so much anger bubbling below the surface for her. And I honestly, I'm the person who turns off the podcast or who turns off the video when I get that kind of a reaction to a person. And I kind of tuned back in a couple of times. I'm like, nope, still she's wicked angry. And, and she came out later in the year and sort of shared all this stuff that had been going on in her life with her health and, and her life. And it was all there in my ears underneath the voice. So I think when someone comes to me, like in these video assessments that I do, I did one last week for a woman who sent a video and I was like, I check out their website, I check out their Instagram, I see what the rest of their presence is. And I'm like, you have so much knowledge and passion for what you do. I was like, but your voice tells me you are not embracing that at all. And she was just like, holy She's like, I suffer with imposter syndrome like you wouldn't believe. And I was like, yeah, your voice is giving that away. So it's like my superpower is that I can tell how your voice is telling on you (laughs) that your average, yeah, your average listener just will change the channel or turn it off. Whereas I'm like, uh, let's dig in and find out what's underneath there. My vehicle for shifting it is not the sort of typical mindset work or whatever. It's like we actually use your actual voice to express yourself and get things coordinated in that way so that 
who you are on the inside matches the way you're expressing yourself on the outside. And that that's a huge part of performing that you want to, you want to get on stage to perform and you want to, um, be and not be doing. So you could get up and perform and be technically completely accurate and everything else. But if you are doing it and not being it, it's not a very enjoyable performance. The same, it's the same thing in life. Um, so that, that all of that has translated really, really well into the work that I do now. Yeah, especially with entrepreneurship as well, like with like visibility and <laughs> us talking about these Facebook lives and these workshops that we're hosting or these podcasts that we're running or whatever, that all comes down to that presence. That's so I love that you're saying this because I, I think part of me, I started to come back to me some feedback I've gotten just over my life. And like I'm part of my work in academia was around like emotions and teaching and learning and stuff. And so I kind of started to pay attention to emotional labor, but also um, like how emotions showed up in the classroom specifically, specific topics we talked about, like that kind of stuff. And of course, how the emotions showed up in the body, right? Then, so that has always been of an in, of interest to me. But going into entrepreneurship, I think this last year with how quickly things move and how um, just responsibilities have changed. Uh, I think as a as a salaried professional, right, you know, working for the government or whatever, like who I like was responsible to was different, but like they held some of the weight of that. Well, when you're an entrepreneur, it's, it's, it's quote unquote all you, right? So I started really paying attention last year, seeing to where and how stress was showing up in my body. Um, and I was participating in some of my first masterminds with like peers. And I remember a moment when I was in a hot seat and someone's like, Lindsay, just breathe. And I was like, Shit. <laughs> right. like, and I, and I still, yeah. I actually feel that feeling. And, and I, uh, you actually said it too, when we were talking about content consumption and when you start feeling a feeling towards something that happens to me too. And how it shows up in my body is my jaw clenches. And when I'm reading something and my jaws clenched, I, I like go, whoa. And I have to like do an adjustment because I'm like realizing how it's showing up. So anyways, I bring that up because it's like, that relationship of these like unconscious signals that we have and you're just tuned in on how it's the voice and how it's the body. And so when someone's showing up and saying selling something is so like is happening on lives, um, sharing personal stories or pretending that they're having all the, not, I, I say pretending that I'm imposing that on lots of people. Um, I'm making a lot of assumptions around that. Uh, more like, <laughs> you know, the facade of like, oh my gosh, like business is so awesome and great and amazing, right? And you probably can easily <laughs> see through that. A, a lot of times I do. Yeah, for sure. Uh, there was there were a couple of people early on that I was like, mm, you are just so full of it. Um, you know, I think that there, there are people that you want, like you want your surgeon, mm. you want your architect, you want those people to be able to say, I, I know exactly what I'm doing, right? You want to be able to place that faith in them. But I feel like if you aren't in one of those roles, what we all know is that the, the connection comes in the ability to not be so superhuman mm, about everything yes. and act as though you have so much of your shit together when, when no one else around you does. But I know for me, I like working with someone that I feel like they're a little bit of beyond where I am so that they can lead me to that next place. So I sort of, that's my litmus test of, of like, you work are you farther and, yeah. along in this journey mm -hmm. than I am? You know, <laughs> because I don't need you to be at surgeon level. You know, I want honesty. I want, I want that transparency. Um, but I do want to know that you're not over here spinning your wheels where I'm spinning my wheels too. But yeah, the whole uh, being able to just respond to that my body does it. I think our bodies always do it but um like I went to a talk in my town about raising compassionate children mm -hmm. earlier this week and the woman who was speaking her message of her book is so wonderful but her actual presentation I found myself I do exactly what the other person yeah, is doing that's how I figure mm -hmm. out what's going on and I'm like okay I'm not breathing yeah. and when I breathe it only goes to here and I was like whoo she is so nervous so up nervous. there yeah <laughs> like I and it is you just have this compassionate response of like wow maybe if I can take a deep breath I'll help her mm, take a deep breath that's a cool. too and get yeah, through yeah, this yeah yeah know? oh yeah I've totally felt that before too yeah wow you can help so many people <laughs> 
this is what I love about That's interviewing people too, because I'm like, oh my gosh, your business is awesome. And I can just like see where you're going with this and how you can help entrepreneurs, how you can help, you know, obviously everyone else. So that's kind of a message too. It's, it's like, you know, entrepreneurs are solving problems and they can, they can basically take what they know and their knowledge and they can go, how can I help more people? Um, you know, as, um, and, you know, and, and accept money for it and get paid, which is all fabulous, which is a, li- a little bit different than the academic situation. So have you, what are, what are kind of your thoughts around, um, like how would you describe maybe your relationship to the Academy now identity wise? Um, you know, do you still feel like an academic? Are you thinking of going back to teaching? I think, I think I realized that at least at this point in my life, it's not the right vehicle Mm, for me to be in. Um, I like being the person, and I've done this many times, where I go and I'm in residence for a couple days or a week working with people at a university, students, teachers. Um, I like that kind of a relationship. Does the institution pay you for that or would that be like, yeah. So usually they'll bring me in to do like a bigger workshop and then students have the opportunity to schedule a one-on-one session where they would pay me individually for it. Um, So I love doing that kind of stuff. I I just think I'm really meant to be my own my own employer and and therefore it's probably some level of control freak in me but i like then i have that it's a level of control where i can say okay i'm going to go for a week and work with you folks and then i'm going to go back to doing my own thing yeah yeah that's kind of how i feel too yeah i i you know and not right now because plate is full um but someday, like, uh, like potentially, yeah, teaching a night class or something. My husband's gonna tutor at the community college where, like, our, our building is actually across the street from a community college that we just moved into, which is funny. Like, I didn't plan that. And then it was like, oh, okay. Yeah. I see what you're doing, Can't universe. Like, <laughs> you don't yeah, want us to right, go too right. far. You just want us to remember where we've been or something. There's some reason why I'm looking at it right now. Um, but yeah, yeah, so he might do that a little bit and, um, as well. And I think, you know, it's kind of fun to, to to have one foot in the door in some ways because of those skills that we're you know constantly yeah. working on and like for him it's like he he's probably in the process of starting something around his physics teaching he's really good at teaching physics uh, and so he might be starting a business around that but tapping back in and tutoring students and really getting back into the like where are you know what problems are they facing what are the mindset issues because there is something about being close to a student um, that if you're not teaching or being in that environment it, it can you know start to slip away a little bit but we teach in in other ways i think in business too so yeah absolutely and i think that there's i think if you asked most teachers whether they're in higher education or secondary education why -hmm. they're there is because of the students and it's it's all the other (laughs) crap that goes around it that makes you not like what you're doing so i think the in in the world that we're in now of of entrepreneurship you get the those benefits it's not that there isn't other hard stuff to deal with but i like to say never say never you know right now when i contemplate uh, being you know on faculty or on staff at a school when i think about it to me it calls up being really limiting and the places that I want to go with things, it stops me from going there. And whether it's financial or personal or just, you know, expansion or whatever, right now it always comes back to feeling limiting. And that tells me it's not a place to go right now. Um, so I, but I, you know, maybe there would come a time where I would have those thoughts and think, yeah, I would not have to look for so many clients. I wouldn't, you know, if, if, if the stuff that right now I find fun and enjoyable connecting with people and, you know, I I could see uh, never Never say never. never. I'm exactly (laughs) like you. And that's where it's like, yeah, I'm taking that to so many different parts of my life. Like we are, we've been house sitting for a while and now we decided to live somewhere for six months. And, um, people are like, what are you doing after the six months? I was like, I have no idea. In six months, you know what can happen in a business? Like, <laughs> like you could just, right. you know, anything can happen. So like the idea that that would even need to be decided right now, it just seems bananas to me. So my life is so different because of exactly that. It's like the control we have over, you know, um, uh, doing what we, I don't want to say like doing what we want to do as if like nothing we do is something we don't want to do. Cause that's not true. There's obviously things in business that aren't like the most fun, but we do have control right. to be like, 
you know, oh, I don't feel like offering this service anymore, or I'm going to create a course now I haven't created in a while. Like that is so different than being in the academy where it's like, in any day you could wake up and they could just be like, oh, hey, we actually need you to not teach that anymore. I know you like it, but mm, yeah, someone else needs to teach it. So sorry. And it's like, that sucks. And so everyone's trying to work to create the life that that is really flexible compared to many other jobs. Um, but it's still out of your control. You still have to be there on day one. You still have an entire semester. You still have office hours. Yeah, I just got a message from a student. It's so funny. I was <laughs> I was reminiscing a little bit with my interviews yesterday because I had two people still teaching um, were both of my interviews. And they were in the institution. And school just started at San Diego City College as I'm watching students walking around. And I had a post, I guess, on Facebook memories come up that said, I love the first day of school or something like that. It's my one of my favorite days. And it is a really cool day. Like it's like such a there's such fun energy in the air. And um, everyone has an A. Everyone's happy. <laughs> um, and then and then I got a message like two hours after posting that from a past student and was like, hey, Professor Padilla, like, I hope you remember me, um, you know, blah, blah, blah. Like, can you write me a letter of recommendation? <laughs> I was like, oh, yeah, all of those what? things. <laughs> nah, like, I'm good. And it was like total message of like, hey, we're reminding you like you're good, like you're doing what you're supposed to be doing. Right. Also reminding me how many little things like we just did as part of our job. Um that also like mind blowing, like, and then I look at this young woman who I was, um, she was one of my closer students. She took like every class I taught kind of student. And I was just like, oh, she's like going to grad school. And like, who am I to not like write a cool letter of recommendation for her right now? So, you know, I'm st- I still haven't completely decided not to, but, but it reminded me of how much gatekeeping there is in the institution as well. And these people, you know, like how much power I held by failing a student versus passing a student. I mean, whatever. So anyways, you know, just normal shit that anyone thinks about. (laughs) So yeah, cool. So I guess kind of maybe as we wrap up, we've been talking for a while. Um, our voices sound good still, right? Like we've been, <laughs> we're okay. We can um, we're okay. Um, I'd like to hear maybe kind of where you see your business going. We got a little bit of that, but give us the vision for like, you know, what, what the impact you want to have. I have a feeling I know where it's headed. I can see it in my eyes. So what do you want? What do you want with your business? Um, I think in this year in particular, I want to continue to serve the world of voice singers and whatnot, but I really, I really have a strong desire to really help particularly female entrepreneurs and just get them to a point where they're not encumbered by the burdens in their voice that we've worked through that stuff so that you're able to go and do what it is that you are meant to do, do your genius work and have people respond to it that have a much sort of bigger goal of working with those folks um, to, and this sounds incredibly grandiose, but to revolutionize, no, do it. to revolutionize the way the world listens to women. Ooh, you know, like that is deep. And <laughs> so no, like grandiose. I don't like coming from sociology. Like I'm super idealistic. <laughs> Yes, <laughs> all of that. I, like, yes, I mean, so needed and so important. Yeah, it's and it's and it's overlooked. And in a, it's overlooked mm-hmm. in a lot of ways until you get into trouble, and then you're like, "Ooh, what do I do?" <laughs> um, but yeah, I think I really I want the world to start to pay attention because I think women have amazing things to say, and I think we're at a tipping point in our culture and in our world where we're really ready to go there. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And There's I want to be happening right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I want to be I want to be on the forefront of that. You are. I see it. <laughs> I have so many connections for you. Just you wait. Um, cool. Awesome. Well, I love that. And I can't wait to watch you do exactly that. <laughs> in in <laughs> whatever you. way the universe decides uh, the how will happen. But I, I see that. I, I see that. And I felt I feel that from you just even even, you know, um, having talked with a lot of entrepreneurs and kind of been in this space for a little, a little bit, not forever, but, um, knowing that that is a need. And so that, um, that, that would be just such a, um, a benefit to, there's going to be so many people that benefit from that. So that's really awesome. Thank you. That's my hope. Yay. So, um, what are you working on right now and how could people 
find you? Is there, is there a course? Is this women's voices course happening? Can, are you doing more one-on-one work? Like kind of, what are you, what are you up to right now? So also on tap for the year, what I call it is vocal mastery. And, um, that has yet to sort of distill itself out into exactly what the sort of larger group offering might be. I, right now I primarily do one-on-one stuff and I do, I do a fair number of video assessments. That's probably a great way for someone to get started is just be like, Hey, take a look at this. And we talk for half an hour. Um, and I give them feedback and a couple things that they can do to work on. Um, so upcoming is a, is a bigger, um, vocal mastery program for people. Um, I think I, I need to get over myself and feeling like I need to provide everyone with an individualized approach, but that there clearly are ah, some things that I key. say to mm-hmm. everyone, um, and, and everyone mm-hmm. would benefit from that. Um, mm-hmm. so that's, that's, uh, that's simmering away. I have a pile of things that I've been accumulating here <laughs> to do with that. Um, but yeah, you know, I've, I, um, I do, I love one-on-one work. That's really the heart mm-hmm, of things for mm-hmm. me. Awesome. So yeah. So where are you hanging out? Are you on Facebook, not on Instagram, or we can watch your dog on yeah, Instagram. I'm on where, Instagram. Where do you want I'm people trying, to connect with you? I try to be on Instagram more than I was. I think maybe, you there know, you go. Uh, but yeah, I'm, I have a Facebook business page. It's called Sarah Witten Voice and Yoga. Cool. Um, and I try to put up voice tips, body tips, you know, things that are going to help you live more into the experience of your being through your voice. Awesome. Very cool. So go find her. It looks like all I'm sure everyone needs us uh, needs this. So let's go. Let's go find her. I'm going to go subscribe. So yeah, below in the show notes, um, as well. um, We will have direct links to lots of stuff we talked about today, too. So um, maybe we'll link back to old courses, stuff like that. So thank you so much, Sarah. This was such a fun conversation. I love showing up and being like, yay, I get to meet a new person and chat with them about fun things. And that is exactly what happened today. So I'm so I'm so grateful for you and for you taking the time to do this. It was awesome. Thank you for having me on. I can't wait to share with you our first, first ever written comment uh, on iTunes. This is so exciting. And I just wanted to share with you um, a customer review that was left of a listener. And basically, Leading Latina says that you should subscribe to Academics Mean Business if you want to get inspired by other academics who use their knowledge outside of the academy through a business that lets them make an impact on their own terms. I'm so excited to share with all of you our very, very first review. And I would love to share new reviews as they come in. So if you haven't yet reviewed Academics Mean Business on iTunes, please do so. Uh, Doing it from the desktop is a little bit different than your mobile phone. So if you're on your phone, um, essentially you actually want to search for the podcast and type it in. You cannot do a rating from the subscription uh, page. So that's just a little bit of a heads up. And when it comes to being on your desktop, you need to view it in iTunes in order to give it a rating. Um, and when you click through uh, and get and search the the podcast in iTunes, you are allowed to write a, v- a review when you go to ratings and reviews. Awesome. I'm so glad people are loving this and subscribing and listening. And thank you. Thank you. Thank you so very much.